Chapter Thirteen of Handy Mandy and Oz by Ruth Plummy Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen In the Imperial City of Oz. Ten days before the goat girl left Mount Mern, a weary and footsore pilgrim arrived in the Emerald City. At least he gave that impression to all who saw him shuffling with his long staff and beggar's cup along the shining streets of the capital. The man's head was clean-shaven, and his small cap, coarse belted robe and sandals, marked him as a monk of some old and ancient order. He nodded gently to each person he passed, and seemed, in spite of his many years and wrinkles, innocent and harmless as a child. The splendor and magnificence of the capital astonished and bewildered the old gentleman, and in a sort of stupefied disbelief he stared at the emerald-studded streets and houses, and gazed up at the lofty peaks and spires of the royal palace. And this was not strange, for of all the fairy cities out of the world, the emerald city of Oz is the most dazzling and beautiful. But its citizens are kindly and simple for all that, and many stopped to drop emeralds in the pilgrim's cup and ask him if there was anything else that he needed. To all he mumbled in a strange and indistinguishable tongue, and seeing that he was bound for the palace, and sure that Ozma herself would know best how to deal with him, the emerald cityites let him go his way unmolested. The afternoon was warm and pleasant and Ozma and some of her favorites were having a lazy game of croquet in the royal garden. The click of the gold mallets as they tapped the gold balls presently attracted the attention of the old wayfarer, who paused to peer curiously over the hedge. The simple summer dresses of the girls in the garden seemed out of all keeping with their majestic surroundings. Except for Ozma's frock, which was longer, the emerald crown on her dark curls and the golden circlets worn by her three companions, they might have been any four little girls playing croquet in a garden. But all around them were the unmistakable signs of rank and royalty. At ease, under a lime tree, stood a tall soldier with green whiskers leaning on his gun. Three footmen in satin uniforms stood stiffly beside an emerald-topped tea-table, ready at a moment's notice to serve ozade and frosted cake. On a gold bench nearby, a straw-stuffed scarecrow was quietly reading the paper, and walking arm-in-arm arm down a little path, talking composedly together, were an energetic little man with a bald head and a curious fellow who seemed to be constructed entirely of copper. To all who are familiar with the quaint and merry folk at Ozma's court, there would be nothing odd about a live scarecrow or a mechanical man, and most of us would have recognized Ozma's companions at once as Dorothy, Betsy, and Trot, three mortal girls who long ago came to live in the royal palace. It was Dorothy who had discovered the scarecrow on her first visit to Oz, lifting him down from his pole and traveling in his gay and carefree company all the way to Emerald City. In those days the Wizard of Oz had been ruler of the country, he himself having flown in a balloon from Omaha. Astonished by the circus tricks of this little fellow, 
the Ossians believed him to be a real wizard, making him their sovereign, and, under his wise rule and direction, built the now-famous city of Emeralds. The sight of Dorothy had made the humbug wizard homesick, and, after presenting the scarecrow with a fine set of brains, he flew off to America in a balloon of his own construction, leaving the straw man to rule in his place. Afterward, when Ozma was disenchanted and proved to be the rightful ruler of Oz, the scarecrow had cheerfully resigned. But he still spends most of his time in the palace, and is one of Ozma's most trusted friends and counselors. Later, the wizard himself returned to Oz, and this time took up the study of magic with such zeal and earnestness he was soon famous from one end of the country to the other. This made him exceedingly valuable to the young fairy ruler, and he, like the Scarecrow, is an old and honored member of Ozma's cabinet. It was the wizard who was now talking so earnestly to Tick-Tock. The metal man was another of Dorothy's discoveries. She met Tick-Tock on her second visit to Oz, and brought him to the Emerald City for safekeeping. Tick-Tock, made by the firm of Smith and Tinker, is a completely mechanical man, and a loyal and dependable citizen when he is properly wound up and oiled. Betsy and Trot, like Dorothy, arrived more or less by wind, wave, and accident in the land of Oz. They liked it so well, and proved so gay and amusing, Ozma begged them to stay with her and Dorothy in the green castle, and help rule the many merry kingdoms that make up her wonderful empire. This they were only too happy to do, so here they are, princesses in their own right, and living in the most gorgeous city out of the world. Besides these celebrities in the garden, there are numerous other important people at Ozma's court. For instance, there is Herbie, the medicine man, whose chest is really a medicine chest full of pills, cures, and ointments. Then there is Scraps, a lively girl made from a patchwork quilt by a wizard's wife, and brought to life by the wizard. And there's Pegasus, a flying pig. There's a doubtful dromedary, a cowardly lion, a hungry tiger, and Dorothy's little dog Toto, a glass cat belonging to Scraps, a wooden sawhorse belonging to Ozma, and Iffin, whom Jack Pumpkinhead discovered near the land of barons, and a dozen more unique and unusual characters. The old pilgrim seemed to find the group in the garden surprising enough, for he watched them closely and silently for almost ten minutes, cupping his hand behind his ear in an endeavor to catch what the wizard was saying. "'It is just as I have told you,' the little wizard was remarking earnestly to Tick-Tock. "'The great record book of Glinda has vanished from her castle without trace or reason, and even with my powerful searchlight and looking-glasses, I have been unable to discover any signs of it. Word of the theft came yesterday by pigeon-post.' "'Someone has stolen it for no good purpose,' answered the metal man solemnly. But the old man, leaning over the hedge, heard none of this, for the two were conversing in a low and guarded tones. So after a long puzzled look at the scarecrow, 
the pilgrim took up his staff and shuffled along the gold-pebbled path to the palace itself a pompous footman in gold and green came to answer his timid knock at the door what name please what business and why in the wood does a fellow like you come begging at the door of a castle inquired the footman in a loud displeased voice there there puff up admonished a rosy-cheeked maid in a ribboned cap and apron peering around the wide shoulders of the footman don't be so shouting proud you frighten the old gentleman half out of his wits can't you see he is tired and hungry and probably in need of a lunch at the little maid's kind speech the pilgrim bowed at least a dozen times nodding his head energetically to show that she was perfectly right in her conjecture come along with you urged jellia jam giving him a friendly wink edging nervously past the muttering footman the old beggar followed jellia into the castle's spacious and splendid dining hall wait right here and i'll bring you some cake and applesauce an omelet and a pot of tea promised the obliging girl how will that be jellia jam who was ozma's own personal maid and a privileged character around the castle grinned cheerfully at her ancient visitor and though the old monk pretended not to understand a word that she said he nevertheless seated himself at the table and with round eyes watched her skip through the swinging door into the pantry no sooner had jellia disappeared than the old rascal sprang nimbly to his feet and began to peer eagerly all around him passing hurriedly over a rich gold service on the sideboard he pounced upon an earthen jug on a crystal stand and tucking it under his robe slipped silently as a shadow out of the dining hall up the green carpeted stairs and straight into the private sitting-room of ozma of oz once there and without losing a moment he walked to the west wall took down a large gold-framed picture blew upon it with a small glass tube till it was no larger than a cake of chocolate and thrust it into an inner pocket then holding his robe high above his skinny shins and with the jug clasped tightly in his arms he galloped down the stairs and out an open window into the garden reaching a large clump of snowball bushes without encountering anyone hiding himself well in the bushes he tore off the monk's robe, turned it inside out, dragged a white wig from his sock, and presently emerged as dignified and plausible an old grandmother as anyone would wish to see. The other side of his monk's robe was green and made up in a style much affected by old ladies in the capital, so that now he attracted no attention whatever. The jug, in a large string bag, dangled carelessly from his wrist, and, smiling and nodding amiably, he hurried through the garden, passed rapidly down one street and another, through the high city gates, on and on, till he was far out in the country, walking faster and faster, and less like a monk or an old lady at every step. End of chapter 13